Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast. My name is Jason Leroy. My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to look at three movies, The Danish Girl, The Big Short, and Youth. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but kind of meh. And send it back? What does that mean? Life is too short for that mess. <laughs> Excellent. Let's get started. The first movie is The Danish Girl, the remarkable love story inspired by the lives of artists Lily Elbe and Gerda Wegener. Lily and Gerda's marriage and work evolve as they navigate Lily's groundbreaking journey as a transgender pioneer. There was a moment when I wasn't me. There was a moment when I was just Lily. But Lily doesn't exist. We were playing a game. Something changed. All right, who is the Danish girl, Jason? Are we talking about Lily here? Yeah, well, you know, it could actually be applied to both of them. Both of them are kind of the Danish girl. Uh, it, as the film begins, uh, it's more about the wife, Gerda. Uh, but then as, uh, as Eddie Redmayne's character begins to transition uh, and take on the identity of Lily, then really it, it should be called the Danish girls. Or two broke Danish girls, <laughs> as the case may be, given that they are both struggling artists. And that we know there's yeah, no faster track to the poorhouse than coming out as trans. There, sad, <laughs> sad but true. There's there's incredible costumery though. I feel like it's, mm. they don't look like poor folk. No, no, and that's because the movie is a lie. Uh, one of many ways in which the movie is a lie is that these poor artists are impeccably costumed and quaffed throughout its run. Wait, so now I want to know how else this is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think it's a lie in the overall feel of the film. I okay. think that Tom Hooper's direction is a lie. I think it's overly tasteful and ornate and uh, mm -hmm. toothless and too gentle by half. And uh, mm -hmm. in that, you know, I, I'm really just diving into it here, aren't I? But, yeah, no, this is great. This but, is... That, but that by the end... Um, it ends with, and you know because you watched it with me. I did. It ends with just like a face-palmingly cliche moment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Where, uh, in absolutely. which a character throws a metaphor into the air yep. and says, let her go. So <laughs> it's, it's yeah, the movie is a goddamn lie. Um, uh, yeah. So that said, uh, is it is it this is Oscar season? Yeah, we have Eddie Redmayne who just came off his Oscar-winning performance as Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything. He did. Uh, is he going to be in it again? You know, I don't. I think that he he's going to make the shortlist. Quite possibly, he might get nominated for this. There's not a shot in hell of him winning again. Mm -hmm. This is a really kind of a this is a a noble but flawed performance from Eddie Redmayne. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, he, you know, and he goes there. Uh, he he certainly finds elements of, of, you know, resonant emotional truth in the character. Mm -hmm. But also, he smiles like a crazy person. <laughs> he also smizes throughout the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, he never stops. Actually, no, I wouldn't mind if he smizes. Like, they definitely needed Tyra to come on the set and, like, be like, girl, you can <laughs> smile with your eyes, you know. Did we talk about doing impressions of other races? <laughs> We've already you talked know, about this. You know, this is just a matter of essence. This is not <laughs> Essence Magazine. Uh, no. Like Ebony, which you were recently featured in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, like, you know, like, hate cover boy of the, of, the, <laughs> of the month. So, no. So, like, Tyra could have been there being like, listen, you don't actually have to open your gigantic mouth and show every last one of your teeth every time you smile, yeah, which is what he does. 
and you walk away from the movie thinking that this was a crazy person, which is the last thing that a movie about a trans pioneer should be making you think. Yeah. And a lot of that is in his performance and also in the, like, hysterical musical score. Oh. <laughs> Uh, which, it if you really, recall, is that nominated for? Um, I mean, the nominations—it's—it's. It's, I don't know. I'm sure. Well, the 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 composer is is famous, uh, is is a well-regarded composer. Um, I believe his name is Alexandre Despre. And <laughs> those words? he Alexandre Despre, I think is is his is his nom. <laughs> and he is he tends to, and he generally does really good scores because when it's when it's appropriate those like heightened dramatic crescendos one after the other are great yeah um but in this case it was absurd and just makes every moment feel like it's so much more intense it really was than it is from what you're seeing uh so the score was ridiculous and the score it's heightened drama combined with his habit of just smiling crazily um, <laughs> just generally made you think that like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? And uh, which is, yeah, definitely not the kind of thing you should be thinking here. Uh, and, you know, parts of it, like we were saying, you know, we haven't read the memoirs. True. We don't know if he was as kind of combative and stubborn about his identity shift uh, as the she- film paints him out to be. Her. Uh <laughs> I'm talking about Eddie Redmayne. Oh. <laughs> uh, not necessarily the character. Uh, so, uh, because I'm calling the whole movie into question, really. Another question uh, that's been asked, so I might as well ask you. Um, have, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all the other assholes are talking about it, so, so let's get this you, I'm sure you have opinion. something to say about it. Um, having a uh, cis ma- male yeah. play a transgender right. person in, mm-hmm. in the movie thoughts in an ideal world uh there would be enough mm, i don't know i was gonna start going down the path of like there aren't enough trans actors to play all the trans roles but that's not true and you're just mad that Laverne cox got passed over for the danish girl i am i'm furious but at least she's playing frankenfurter in rocky horror oh nice um you know i i feel like the real imbalance is that trans actors aren't getting work period Mm mm-hmm um, so I don't think that trans actors should only be playing trans roles. I don't think that trans mm-hmm. roles should only be played by trans actors. I think that if it would take a movie like The Danish Girl casting an unknown trans actor and putting her in uh, this huge Oscar season movie, then like that that could be great. But I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with having a cis person play a trans role. Um, but I think that there is a great error imbalance, a lack of representation of actual trans people in film certainly in tv it's actually much better right because, you know yeah. tv we have liver and cox and orange is the new black we have transparent you know we have uh oh, right not not the main role in transparent, not the main role but, but lots of lot other of trans actors, actors are yeah. yeah so uh so i feel like you know it's it, i'm not like matt eddie redmayne that he took the role i think originally the role was actually going to be played by nicole kidman uh true story uh so so it could have been it could have been a lot more uh, interesting complicated complicated it's complicated with nicole uh playing playing that part so no i don't think that there's a problem with eddie redmayne playing the part but i do think that we need to have a lot more trans actors getting cast in these kinds of roles um and very few movies are willing to do that yet because it's ultimately about the bottom line and they want names and they want people uh they want actors that people will be comfortable seeing and that's why the movie Tangerine is so amazing. Right. I haven't seen that yet. It's uh, on Netflix now, right? Uh, I don't know. It is on iTunes. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so you've, you've mentioned you, you use the word toothless and 
this movie is not given is not being seen as for being very brave. Yeah. And this has been a big year for transgender visibility in the media with Transparent mm-hmm. and as you already mentioned and Caitlyn Jenner making big news. I I, I feel like this is too this is too little too late. Mm-hmm. Um I and I think that having a trans actor lead would have been a great this would have been a great opportunity and a great time for that. And would have given it a little bit more meat yeah, I, I think that's probably true. I, I think that maybe if they had had a trans actor, and I'm not saying that they didn't have, I'm sure they had trans consultants working on the film with them. I'm sure that they were very responsible in terms of how they went into this. But I'm saying the finished product doesn't really reflect that very right. well. Definitely. Um, I don't feel like anyone's going to watch this movie and come away feeling like they have a better understanding of what it means to be trans than they did already no. from watching I Am Kate or Transparent or like the Prancing Elites project or so many things right. that have that have touched upon this issue over the last year or two. Um, I don't think the movie adds any new insight. I think the historical insight is 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 of course fantastic and mm-hmm. we need to have mm-hmm. that. But I just feel like the movie is just fucking it up. I just don't feel like it yeah. really tells us much. Like there's really not a lot about the his her story that now I'm talking about the character, not uh, not Eddie Redmayne. Um, there's not really much about her story that we are like, oh, I get it now, but how no, it's not hard. All. all you do is you walk away like, oh, okay, yeah, it was hard before. Like, yeah, no fucking shit. It's hard now. Right. And it was harder before. Uh, but based on the movie's depiction, not by much. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like it's, it's you know, it just shows that, you know, the surgery, the full, the whole thing is almost kind of morbid, really, because Quite. it's, it's all Quite. leading up to, you know, the fact that Lily was a pioneer and that she was the first person to have the complete... Uh, sexual reassignment surgery, and I can't remember. I'm sorry, that's probably not the right words for it. Um, gender reassignment. Gender reassignment. I said sex. Yeah, gender reassignment surgery, and uh, you know, it's, and it, it it's it it happens, but it, you know, and they fortunately there's no gore in the movie really, but right. they show Eddie Redmayne in quite a bit of of agony um, after each of the procedures. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then things don't go so well. Right. Uh, so it's really all that's sort of the main thing. It's almost like the movie is all leading up to this thing of like, wow, it used to be really terrible to try to get surgery to, you know, uh, you know, to transition so that you know your your body and your gender are aligned. Uh, so it's almost like they're saying, um, you know, it's all just yeah, leading up to that moment where you're like, oh shit, like there, there had to be a first person, right? There had to be a first person who had the courage and the bravery to to go through that and sort of be the sacrificial lamb of sorts, so that they could learn from it and and you know keep working on it, so that it could get to the point where it is today, you know, where it's not not even remotely a life threatening thing if you know if done with proper doctors right, and, you have and, the and medicines, you have the resources, resources. To, to access that kind of thing. I mean, I, well, as you mentioned, I saw this movie with you and, um, one of the, one of my big standout, um, disappointments in this movie is that, um, and then the, the main character is, you know, you know, sort of is this amazing husband at the beginning, fun, uh, is, is surrounded by people who are supportive and interesting. The, his uh, wife, um, just a, a progressive artist, uh, funny, sweet, and then then the transition happens, and she becomes, as I believe as you called it, a basic bitch. She's <laughs> insufferable. Well, it does, it sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> the, the it is just the portrayal is is she's insufferable. Yeah, there is no depth. 
They have no conversations. Mm-hmm. Like things are just. Which she goes to work in a in, right, in she a, goes a shop store, girl. right? Yeah, she she goes from being a brilliant artist to being a, a shop girl. It's it's like girl retail. <laughs> it's upsetting. You're an artist. It doesn't take you anywhere. And and she's she's like, no, he was an artist. I am not. It's like. I don't know of it. Why do you, what? Yeah, I mean, like, girl, if that's your truth, more power to you. But, yeah, I mean, like, the transition, it does not seem, maybe that's why Eddie Redmayne felt like he had to smile like such a fucking crazy person the entire time (laughs) to communicate the idea that she was supposed to be happier now. Maybe that's Um, it. It did not come across that way. nothing about it that makes her seem at all happy aside from just the incessant, maniacal smiling. <laughs> uh, that was about the extent of it, and also the uptick in wardrobe. There was a pair of palazzo pants. That, oh yeah, really? Uh, that Eddie Redmayne wears that just brought gasps and in oohs and ahs from the room. Yeah, yes, the highly coveted, highly coveted palazzo pants that we see him swanning around in. Uh, <laughs> the standout performer here is Alicia Vikander. Yes, um, that's it was sort of why I set up asking you who the Danish girl is. Um, right, it's she really vies for your um, attention. <laughs> Mm-hmm. as the character she's had a big year she has um she's, she's nice. being run as best supporting yeah which that's weird right right because she is the danish girl yeah yeah she is the story is hers ultimately she is the first person you see she's the last person you see uh it's ultimately told from her perspective and uh you know i've i've had it said that well she's there to it's his story it's eddie redmayne's story and she's there to support his story but I don't think that's true at all. No, uh, I don't think so. I think that this is very much the story of a marriage. Yes. You know, it's a story about Eddie Redmayne's character and Alicia Vikander's character and their marriage. And it's about both of them equally. His happens to be the more sort of headline-grabbing uh, character arc. But it's very much about, it's just as much about her trying to process this. Mm-hmm. And seeing her husband very much unwilling uh, as the as as he goes further into the transition, to meet her halfway at all, uh, yeah. Um, all. As 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 uh, he becomes Lily, then she basically just sort of like is like, nope, sorry, like not giving you anything anymore. Like you know, like and you know when there's scenes where she comes running home in tears and it's like, I just need my husband, and Lily's like, mm, sorry, you know. Right. I mean, in, in the, in not not even in like a like a sexual way or in a way right. that would would have even right. needed to be like a, a a man or a husband like mm-hmm. a friend or a confidant or someone to support her work mm-hmm. um, and just be there for yeah. any of her needs in, in and not to say that that obviously what um Lily was going through didn't require a lot of space no. but there was absolute complete abandonment yeah complete abandonment yeah just utter utter abandonment and uh and I think that you know Vikander's performance is 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 really outstanding and uh, at this point she is the front runner for best supporting actress which i mean it's still it's i mean the term is category fraud it's mm. it's true of this as well as in carol because rooney mara is mm-hmm. being run as best supporting actress even though she is very much a co-lead right if not the rightful protagonist of the story along Absolutely. with along with kate blanchett so uh but vikander is fantastic uh she's chastaining this year she's had a series of breakout roles that have put her on everyone's radar she was in Ex Machina. She was in The Man from Uncle. She's in, um, ah, shit, this movie with Kit Harrington. Oh, Testament of Youth. Uh, so she's making the rounds, and um, and now she's going to be a household name, or at least a, a, a hot commodity coming off of this year, and this very likely Oscar nomination impossible win. And that would make the real supporting actress here, Amber Heard, yes. who uh, is, what's it called, Yorkie Gate? 
Ter- <laughs> oh yeah, Terrigate yeah, Gate or something? yeah, yeah. The thing with the dogs and the Australians. Ah, oh, what a bizarre. But you have a different, was. different nickname for her. Well, you know, I referred Amber Heard as the woman who was chasing Amy by Johnny Depp because that's what <laughs> she is. You know, she was she was dating women and she was known as a lesbian. And even though I think she always said she was bi, but we all know that's bullshit. That doesn't exist. And uh, and then she suddenly was with Johnny Depp, and now she's this like you know just glamorous wife that he you know left his longtime wife and mother of his children for woof. and uh indeed yeah <laughs> woof indeed and she is just painful in this movie mm-hmm. here's my impression of her in this movie <clears throat> aren't i just too vivacious <laughs> <laughs> she plays a ballerina uh who is meant to be sort of like the initial Glamazon inspiration for Redmayne's character. Mm-hmm. Like he sees her in all of her high fashion and glamour and femininity, and he wants to emulate that. He's drawn to that because his wife is is not as e- extremely over feminized no. as Amber Heard, and uh, so and she's supposed to be like this vivacious life of the party. You know, like, and let's just say, like, Sally Bowles, she fucking ain't. Uh, so it's just, it's painful to watch her f- push so hard yeah. to try to come off as, like, this, like, appealing life of the party, free spirit, um, and not just a lesbian traitor. <laughs> Which is why you'll always see her. Exactly. And a exactly. dog smuggler. And a dog smuggler. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, why is this woman not in prison? That's is, what I want to know. In Australian prison, at in that. Australian prison, which is the worst kind. Um, which is just Australia. Also. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's the entire. It's a colony of, of prisoners. Like, right. We, we so, all know that, right? I guess that's maybe. Well. Uh, so <laughs> this is this is going to be the last LGBT-ish movie of the year, mm-hmm. um, uh, from a year with a lot of names: uh, Freeheld and Stonewall. And by names, I mean yeah. disappointments. disappointments. Yeah. Yeah. Where does this fall on the spectrum? It's another disappointment, uh, you know, going into this as well as Freeheld and Stonewall all premiered at Toronto this year. And uh, it was just disappointment after disappointment, as well as um, about Ray, which is has not mm-hmm. been released yet, which is a story where Elle Fanning plays a young trans teen boy and uh, Susan Sarandon and Naomi Watts play her grandmother and mother, respectively. I was actually a huge fan of that film. And, uh, and but the Weinstein's for whatever reason decided that it wouldn't it didn't have enough potential this year, which was a fucking mistake because it turns out this is like a weak ass Oscar season for like the actress categories. Right. So they probably could have successfully run Elle Fanning as supporting, um, even though there's all the category fraud going on. Anyway, point being, so there's a lot of excitement going into Toronto this year for all these big LGBT movies that have A-list stars like Julianne Moore and you know Eddie Redmayne and you know both of whom are the reigning best actor and actress. Right. They are the most recent winners, and now they have these gay movies and trans movies playing at Toronto, and, uh, and no dice. No dice. Uh, it's been. It was very disappointing. There was a, a, a very talked about article written at the time by Kyle Buchanan of uh, Vulture about how all these queer movies were actually just about the straight people and the lives of the queer people. Mm, oh right, and Michael Shannon's character it. and mm-hmm. Freehold. Yeah. Do you think that that since we've progressed a little bit in the United States and in in the Western world and that we have exposure to sort of human interest stories a lot with the internet that at one point 10 15 maybe even five years ago movies had told stories that you didn't hear and now you sort of hear those stories and and things are just coming up weak yeah well I think it's it's that and also TV TV moves it moves quicker yeah. Um, it gives way more time to go into depth on things. And uh, and I think that, you know, movies are really fighting a huge struggle to be as as good as TV. Yeah. 
And uh, so, and I think that, uh, you know, TV gets to take a lot more risks, you know, just like, you know, throwaway episodes or, you mm-hmm. know, like they, I think there's a sense of like, well, we can just try whatever we want week to week. And it's not like a movie where it's, it's one thing and it's done forever. Right. Um, so I feel like TV takes a lot of risks and movies are anything but uh, adventurous. Yeah. And uh, so I think that even though these films are clearly being made by, you know, thoughtful, liberal filmmakers, uh, it all just somehow went terribly wrong. And all these movies end up being hugely disappointing. So it was meant to be a, just a, a watershed year um, for, you know, depictions of uh, LGBT characters in cinema end up just being a wash with the exception of Carol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even then, as I think we talked about in our episode, it, that's not really, that's a love story. It's not in any way politicized. Right. And, you know, these are two women who probably wouldn't even necessarily use the word lesbian to describe themselves Mm -hmm. and run screaming from any other lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's fair sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) As they should. So you're giving this a binge it? Yeah, that's what you have have coming. Uh, Well, before we get to that, the one thing I want to say as well is that uh, Eddie Redmayne's character arc and the overall arc of the film is identical to the theory of everything. Oh. It is identical. Yeah. So, you know, what we have here yeah. is we have a very notable, uh, you know, 20th century figure who begins the film as an able-bodied man. Uh-huh. Uh, you uh-huh. know, has a, you know, strong, supportive wife who ends up being very long-suffering and endures much uh, as this man makes a revelation that deeply affects his identity. Wow, yeah, And then okay. they go through the whole rigmarole of, like, lots of doctor's visits, lots of, like, well, what does this mean? Um, then they are no longer able to, you know, sort of uh, um, connect and be intimate. And uh, and so then the wife has, like, another guy who she meets, and then she's kind of tortured because she's drawn to this guy but doesn't want to be because she wants to be faithful to her husband, even though that relationship can never be the same ever again. Uh, what? Okay, so this episode is going to be called... The Theory of the Danish Girl. Yes. <laughs> the Theory of Eddie Redmayne Movie. The Theory of Every Eddie Redmayne Movie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's basically the same fucking movie, um, with the exception that The Theory of Everything has them, like, divorcing, mm-hmm. and that does not happen in The Danish Girl. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. They don't get that far. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, same movie, same movie, except for Theory of Everything um, was uh, better, even though that was still not a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Redmayne's performance was superior. Uh, Felicity Jones is fine. Um, v. Kander is is the winner in the wife category for me, uh, mm-hmm. for who who plays Mrs. Redmayne. <laughs> uh, but no, this is uh, you know I, I I gave this some thought, and I think for Dance Girl, oh, man, I don't know. No, you know I'm going to go with in consume moderation. I'm going to go. Moderation. I thought about sending it back. I did. Uh, yeah, I would think. But but V. Kander is just so good in this movie that I can't, in good conscience, send it back because this is a star-making performance. It deserves to be a star-making performance from her. And if you, you know, I don't know, there's probably some dumb old fucks in the Academy who don't watch Transparent and have never heard of anything, and they're going to watch this and be like, oh, well, this is just, we should pat ourselves on the back for watching this. Mm -hmm. This is a socially responsible film. Uh, It is beautiful. It is beautiful. and beautifully uh, shot. It could do some good somewhere. Um, Just having, you know, having this this representation, having a historical narrative of of the trans experience, even though as unenlightening as we found it to be. Somewhere there's like a homophobic bigot with a soft spot for Eddie Redmayne that this mm-hmm. one is really going to turn around. <laughs> so we're I giving I that guy. Consume in moderation. Consume moderation. The Danish Girl's out now and is rated R for some sexuality and full nudity. Full nudity. 
Moving on, movie number two we're going to look at is The Big Short. Four outsiders in the world of high finance who predicted the credit and housing bubble collapse of the mid-2000s decide to take on the big banks for their lack of foresight and greed. Banks got greedy, and we can profit off of their stupidity. Do you have any idea what you're up against? We have to act now. So this sounds like Moneyball 2. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was based on a book by the same guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also has Brad Pitt sporting uh, somewhat shaggy length hair. Uh, again, right? Again, uh, although he looks better in that in Moneyball than he does here. This is not a. It's not one of the high-profile, hot, uh, Brad Pitt looks. <laughs> no, no, this is not going to be like on the Thelma Louise, uh, you know, flowchart. <laughs> uh, no, no, this is definitely this is Brad Pitt at his most at his most bookish. This okay. Is a, this is as frumpy as Brad Pitt gets. Is is how we see him in this movie. So no, if you want good looking Brad Pitt, then well, I mean, I guess Moneyball is is more of the two. But no, I mean, honestly, obviously, you know, go back. River runs through it. Let's not kid ourselves. Oh, jeez. Legends of the Fall. But uh, but yeah, no. So we have Brad Pitt here. It is that. Those are the echoes of Moneyball, and it's also you know uh, just sort of a yeah man movie. So yeah, is it a shame that this movie comes out so close to Christmas? That you can't buy it for your dad as a DVD present? It is, although I believe you could pre-order it for your father on iTunes. Oh, yeah? Uh, but uh, but aside from that, yeah, yeah, it, it is it is sort of a dad movie, but it's also a little over... Mm, it's kind of over-conceptual to be a dad movie. Um, okay. Like, this is a movie that's very concerned with the actual, like, minutia of the financial crash and with, like... The, the, the sort of the technical reasons why the financial crash happened. And it sort of, you know, it follows this kind of savant character played by Christian Bale, who um, is able to run the numbers in such a way that he sees it coming. And then, um, and we, you know, and he starts booking meetings with all these, um, uh, all these, you know, firms to basically buy, you know, or I don't even know. Okay. So here's, here's my <laughs> confession. Um, is that like I don't understand any of this like okay. at all? Did this movie not explain it? The movie uh, has two, not one, but two scenes where they break the fourth wall and they bring out a cameo guest star to explain the financial crash in what they think are very simple terms. And the first time, it's Margot Robbie from The Wolf of Wall Street. They show her sitting in a jacuzzi, um, sipping champagne and explaining the, what happened that led to the financial meltdown as herself. And first of all... Wait, as herself? As herself. As she's like, hi, I'm Margot Robbie. And then she starts to explain what happened. And first of all, like, don't invite comparisons to a far better movie about finances right. if you can't back that shit up. Because obviously they're trying to draft off of The Wolf, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street which was an instant classic and in I think the more the, the more time passes since that movie coming out the better it looks mm-hmm. and um and just the more just yeah incredible of a legacy it has so you bring out Margot Robbie immediately you think about the Wolf of Wall Street and you're like oh man I I'm not watch, watching that I, I'd rather be watching that now please thank you <laughs> And secondly, like she explains it in this way where the movie clearly thinks like, okay, even like the biggest morons out there are going to understand it now. But still, I was like, nope. (laughs) I was like doing a flyby. No fucking idea. Then later they have Selena Gomez um, pop up um, and explain some other thing. And one more time I was like, like I know not even a little bit. Like I feel like I like legit probably have some kind of learning disability around issues of numbers and statistics and like, 
any kinds of, you know, financial things are just like anathema to me. Like they just like, they're my kryptonite. My brain starts to fight back at me like, no, don't make me. And, <laughs> well, lucky there will always be movies. Yeah. Thank, for you to think and talk about. Christ. Because, yeah, uh, so The Big Short, I have no idea what the fuck was going on. Um, but the movie, all of which is to say that it's very much sort of a, it's a heady movie about finance. It's, it's, it, it gets into a lot of details about what was being done and the different kinds of fraud that were being perpetrated and why one thing would lead to another, then to another, then to another, then inevitably to this very large crash that, of course, affected all of us and that Christian Bale's character foresaw and tried to play to his advantage. So this is exactly what I would expect from the director of Anchorman, Italian Nights, and Step Brothers. Yeah, you know, he's pigeonholed himself thoroughly with this one. He needs to get his needs to try something different. I know. I why know. isn't Will Ferrell in this movie? Yeah, I, I have to assume that he was doing something else. Yeah. Uh, he just wasn't available when they got the rest of the cast together because, I mean, this is a large cast with a lot of A-list stars in it, and Farrell must just have been doing something else because he and Adam McKay, the director, certainly go back a ways to Saturday Night Live. To Saturday Night Live. Um, so is it supposed to be funny? I mean, you have this like ensemble cast like Anchorman, <laughs> lot, right. all the same characters, Steve Carell. Okay, yeah. one. Right. Um, yes, but at least one actor, yeah. <clears throat> is it funny? You know, it... Uh, there is, it's it's kind of bits of it can be kind of funny. It has a kind of like a, a, a very biting kind of um, cynical, sarcastic tone to it that can be somewhat amusing. You're watching all these, basically every single guy in the movie is just an irredeemable douche asshole. And they all treat each other terribly. And that can be fun to watch. Okay. Um, the only time that I really laughed, and when I did laugh, goddamn, I laughed a lot at this. Ryan Gosling... Uh, has a, a way of delivering the line, I'm Jack to the tits, uh, that made me just fall out of my chair. Uh, it's I'm not going to do an impression of it for you right now, but when you watch this movie, when he gets to this line where he shrieks, I'm Jack to the tits, then yeah, it's it's it's, it's a hilarious. moment of, it's in, it's in my personal Rolodex of, of the year's funniest moments. But otherwise, no, this movie is, um, it, 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 there's an uneasy balance of comedy and drama in this movie. That's that's kind of one of the issues with it, is that it doesn't really commit to being one or the other. Um, not that it needs to, but it doesn't really work in the, in the kind of balance that they find. So Ryan Gosling tickled you, um, and his <laughs> hairpiece upset you? Well, you know, it, it didn't upset me because I, you know, I always like uh, thinking that great looking people can be not look great looking, that it's possible to to ugly them up a little. Okay. And that does happen with Ryan Gosling in this movie. So much so that like, it turns out that I don't know. I don't know if he was still fuckable in this. Really? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like, I'm not fooled. Like, I would be like, okay, take that off. You know, let's go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's such an ugly hair piece that, and it kind of does, it accentuates different parts of his facial features than his own hair does. And it just, the overall effect is not flattering. Uh, so yeah, so he, he uglies up for this. He and Brad Pitt both, uh, are, are not trying to, um, they're, they're, they're fighting the hot as, as, as Michael K of D-Listed calls it. They're both (laughs) fighting the hot in this movie. Um, so luckily for the rest of the movie, I guess, um, since they are fighting the hot, um, there are women who are not fighting the hot in this movie. I I saw the trailer. The only women I saw were either in a pool, in a bikini, or at a strip club. And you mm. just mentioned Margot Robbie makes a bikini appearance. Um, how badly does this movie fail the Bechdel test? It fails it pretty badly. 
there are. It's funny. I was reading the cast list earlier today to be like, when I, I was like, does it have any women in it? And it turns <laughs> out it actually does. It has like a few, like Marissa Tomei's in it. Oh, really? Uh, there's, there's a handful of women who are in this movie. Um, but no, they don't ever talk to each other. So I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. it fails the Bechdel test. Um, it also, um, it has um, Adepero Uduye from Pariah. Um, if you, did you see Pariah? No, I haven't. That's ridiculous. He just gave me a, a very sassy head motion. Yes, that is absurd. I like have this, homework. This is, no, Pariah is a movie that you would definitely like. Okay. Um, can but, I find it on iTunes? You sure can. Oh, all right. Well, okay, so it was about, um, it was sort of about like black lesbians and. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And like she's sort of like, she's very, she's very masculine mm-hmm. and her mother's played by Kim Wayans and, you know, she wants her to. Uh, you know, be feminine and, and date boys and things like that. So this, that lead actress, Deborah Oduye, um, is in this film. Okay. And uh, which I always remember her name um, from when Meryl Streep beat her at some award show for oh. some movie. And she was like rattling off the list of the, you know, other women who were nominated who didn't win. And she's like, uh, uh, Deborah Oduye. <laughs> um, and it was just adorable um, hearing, hearing Meryl Streep it up on that name. So we have uh, who... It can't it can't be a real name? Finn Wittrock. Finn mm. Finn Wittrick. <laughs> Finn Wittrock. That that's like Tab Hunter and Rock Hudson had mm. one, uh, one combined yeah. other fake name. It would yeah. be Finn Wittrock. That's funny. Uh, like whenever I look at that name, it it strikes me as like it should be some kind of like just like wealthy New England family. Like, oh, that's oh, how you like see a, it. Of the New Haven Wittrocks, or you know <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I I like the idea also that he is like some latter day, uh, you know, throwback matinee idol, which mm-hmm. he was cast as in um in one weird episode of American Horror Story Hotel this season. Um, he played uh, Valentino in a flashback. In addition to playing like a druggy, ambisexual um, model in the present tense storyline, so yeah, so Finn Whitrock uh, has you know sort of burst onto the scene on American Horror Story over the last two seasons over Freak Show and now Hotel, and uh, and this is he's done a few movies here and there, but this is sort of his most high profile one because it's such a big cast and it's an Oscar season movie. Um, but the funny thing is that once again. He is surrounded by an ensemble of hot-ass men. Uh, this is sort of like the comedy of the current season of Hotel. It's been pointed out that there's like eight dudes on the show, all of whom basically look identical to one another. Hmm. There's him, there's Cheyenne Jackson, there's Matt Bomer, there's Wes Bentley, uh, there's... Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. They do all look like. Yeah, there's uh, Max Greenfield. Uh, so who Max Greenfield, who is also in this movie... Uh, so both th- those two same face motherfuckers from <laughs> Hotel are both in the Big Short. So so here we have Finn Wittrock Wit- Wit- finally making a break into the movies, but once again just drowning in a sea of other beautiful men. And you know, I, I wish I could say my heart broke for him, uh, but you know, it- he's just one another sea of beautiful faces, beautiful beautiful faces. He's a beautiful face even around. Uh... Ryan Gosling's hairpiece. Yes, yes. He he absolutely he emerges hotter than Gosling in this movie. Wow. So that's the that's the hotter re- than, maybe that should be our new tearing. Gosling, <laughs> hotter than Gosling. I I think I think there's something to that. Maybe. I think that I mean it, we probably use it very rarely. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, this would be the first and last time that we we'll rank someone hotter than Gosling, but strictly by the context of the company that he's keeping, he is the better looking person in this movie. What are we giving this movie for real? 
Well, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and send this one back because it send just it, it just did nothing for me. Uh, I, I, I just, I was just, and partially, and I fully own this as my own, like, intense mental limitations and restrictions um, of being able to comprehend <laughs> such things. Uh, so, yeah, I just didn't, I just couldn't follow it. Uh, and I think that it's it's even beyond my own sort of, you know, weaknesses of mind. It's just done in a weird way. Uh, the tone is really shaky. It's inconsistent. The movie has kind of like this smirking thing going on most of the time. Uh, and it's, it's, just, it's just unpleasant. And I don't think it did a great job trying to explain any fucking thing. So, uh, and the, uh, the cast is mostly wasted. So I'm going to go ahead send and send this back. one back. Got no use for it. Life's too short. The Big Short is out now and is rated R for pervasive language and some sexuality and nudity. My life's the Big Short. Man, it's too short. <laughs> And now it's time for a pick of the week, youth. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick. It's a pick, pick of the week. A retired orchestra conductor is on holiday with his daughter and his film director best friend in the Alps when he receives an invitation from Queen Elizabeth to perform for Prince Philip's birthday. What do you do all day, Fred? Well, they tell me I'm apathetic, so I don't do anything. Don't you miss your work? Not at all. I miss my wife. You didn't know the first thing about my mother. You never bothered to take care of her. She loved you, and so she forgave you. No matter what happened, she still wanted to be with you. But who were you? Who? That's what I always ask myself. Okay, so this sounds like pretentious white nonsense. Mm. Is that accurate? <laughs> uh, you know, it is. Uh, well, here's the funny thing. So I, I saw that when I saw this movie at Toronto, I was just like, oh, I love this. Oh, my God. I'm luxuriating every gorgeous second of this movie. And then it wasn't until like a month later, uh, I saw a friend uh, on Facebook be like, oh, well, you know, yeah, this movie is pretentious as shit, but I'm a pretentious guy, so I love it. And I'm like, was I being pretentious by loving this movie? Oh, no. Because I just thought, I just loved it. Yeah. Um, It's very, uh, it's just this gorgeous movie. uh, And it's by this director, uh, Paolo Sorrentino, who previously uh, earned a lot of Fellini comparisons with a movie called The Great Beauty, which won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film a few years ago. And uh, and I, I've, I grew up, <laughs> this, I realize as I'm saying this, how pretentious this sounds, I grew up on Fellini. Oh, boy. Uh, yep, here we go. Uh, so I, I was like, I threw myself headlong into Fellini films when I was like a pretentious teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before and, you were a pretentious man. <laughs> before I was a pretentious man. Um, no, I don't think. That, I think at the time it was more pretentious because, like now, it's not. It wouldn't be so unusual for like a thirty-three-year-old white man in San Francisco to be like, oh, "I like Fellini." Right. But for like a dopey fourteen-year-old boy in like fucking Houston, Pennsylvania, to be like, yeah. oh, "I like Fellini," you know, that was a <laughs> lot more pretentious. So, um, so yeah, I, I've always really, really loved Fellini movies and Sorrentino has a way of evoking everything that was so magical and, and, and creative and enchanting about Fellini's films, about his more, um, about those kinds of more sensual films, those more, um, yeah, magical films of his. And, uh, so this is very much in that of a piece with, with Fellini films. Uh, it's, it's, it, it doesn't really have a strong story per se. It's really just a series of vignettes that mm-hmm. unfold at this, um, you know, at this gorgeous 
fucking eye-droppingly eye-dropping. My eyes <laughs> dropped. dropped. My eyes dropped <laughs> out of my fucking skull. It was so beautiful at this at this at this resort in the Alps. And um, and so we have these characters that kind of come and go from from this from this resort. And you know, some we find out more about than others. And there's just lots of tiny moments. And there's still some really powerful acting in these tiny moments. And uh, and and just the photography, the music. It's just a it's a feast for the senses. I'll call it that. So so you were saying you liked Fellini as a teenager. Yeah. And I I always felt like I wasn't quite old enough to understand a lot of Fellini films. Not not understand, but to feel a lot of his characters have that whole like life is passing me by. I guess I'm just thinking a lot of like eight and a half. Like you're kind of oh, right. reaching this end or this block. Yeah, where, block. Yeah. Uh, and in this movie is about is an older man um, who's. I assume sort of like looking back at his life and seeing what's mm. what's available now. Do you think that this is something that uh, you appreciate more because you are? Uh, I'm at the end of my life. You're at the, you're close, so much closer to death than you were as mm. a teenage boy. Every time I joke about something like that, I'm just like, damn it, I'm gonna die before this goes on the air. And then, oh, no. and then they'll play it and they'll be like, oh, he joked. This is why you don't joke about death. Oh God. Um, but uh, but no, well, and, and that is a good point about what the movie is about. Is you know we have a composer and we have a director. And each of them are kind of fighting for uh, a sense of vitality Mm -hmm. at this point in their lives. You know, we have this, um, the director in particular is just fighting like hell to, you know, to make another movie, even though, you know, everyone's told him that his his moment has passed. This is Harvey Keitel? Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that, you know, and that was not something I ever really picked up from Fellini movies, honestly. I think that... What I liked about it was more just the overall sense of melancholy. Okay. Um, you Which know, is relatable like, in any age. Exactly, exactly. And, and in particular, when you're a moby teenager. Right. Um, you know, I've always been someone who feels movies more than thinks them. And uh, so, and there's... Which is why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! And, uh, you know, and so, right, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using my words to talk about my feelings. <laughs> and what these movies make me feel. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so I always just loved how the Fleeting movies made me feel. And there was always that touch of melancholy to it. Frankly, Eight and a Half wasn't one of my favorites when I was a teenager. Um, I loved La Strada. I loved Amarcord. Oh, I yeah. loved the Dolce Vita. Uh, so those... There's such a sadness there. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, and, and, that's, and that's kind of what I felt watching this film. Jane Fonda. Yeah. A lot of Oscar buzz for Jane Fonda. She have a shot? Yeah, well, it's crazy because she she comes in the film very late, as in like final 20 minutes late. And she has one scene, essentially, one scene, um, a big, huge blow-up fight scene with Harvey Keitel. She plays this um, this sort of aging diva actress who was always his leading lady, and he wants her to come out and do this movie. And she basically shows up and is like, fuck you. You know, you say you made me, I made me. And oh. then they just go back and forth, and she is playing for the fucking balcony with this one. Um, and uh, and I was just reading today some commentary that maybe all this Oscar buzz might have been overstated because she the as we're recording this, the Screen Actors Guild nominations came out this morning, and uh, she was not nominated. Oh, okay. And um, and the actors are the biggest voting body within the Academy, so even though it's the SAGs, not the Oscars, it's still a huge part of the body. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people are no longer certain that Jane Fonda is a lock on a Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination. Okay. Um, but all the same, it's a performance that is memorable um, from Ms. Fonda. So always good to see her 
really um, um, playing it big uh, and and going in a different direction because now we're you know settling into like relatable Jane Fonda, seeing her playing grandmothers and right, yeah, and, absolutely, you know, the spurned wives of late in life gay men and things <laughs> things like that. So this is just like full on like histrionic diva um, Jane Fonda, and it is a lot of fun to watch her in this movie. You have this whole cast is is pretty incredible. We have Mike. Michael, I'm not going to do my Michael Caine impression. Why not? Um, Because it's another another race, right? Because (laughs) we have a rule about not doing another race. Exactly, and I follow the rules. Oh, good on you. Rachel Weisz. Any, there's a cameo, a pop star cameo in this? There is a pop star cameo. Um, It, it it was, it was very surreal when it began to happen on screen. And I was like, (laughs) here's my guess. Is it Taylor Swift? <laughs> is she standing on that horse? Because I feel like that horse standing video is very similar to the this movie. It was filmed at the same location, right? Um, I think it, I think it was, but no. The uh, the the pop star is it's a British pop star named Paloma Faith. Do you know Paloma Faith? I don't. <laughs> so that's a lot down for you. It is. <laughs> uh, she's she's a very very um, sort of colorful personality. Um, she uh, she's a, she's like a, a British soul singer, as they all are. And, mm-hmm. um, and she is very, like, she's very, she has a lot of drag. Like, she's very, very draggy, her whole look. Like, she wears these enormous wigs and, and, and very extreme couture. And so she's kind of, you know, bringing a, a touch of the Gaga into her presentation. And she's just like a belter. And she is in this movie because I believe Rachel Weiss's character, her husband has left her for Paloma Faith. Oh. And, um, and so there's actually a music video, um, within the movie that's made by Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, for one of the songs on Pluma Faith's new album, except for it's like a nightmare Rachel Weisz is having. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, it's really interesting and just could not be more fucking random that Paloma Faith is just like in this movie as herself. Um, you know, even more random than Margot Robbie and Selena Gomez playing themselves in the big short. So this movie is the pick of the week. It is. I assume it's going to be a binge it. It's a binge it. This was just one of the most rapturous enchanting movie experiences I've had in a long time and uh, if if you like me were a pretentious teenager who watched Fellini you will fucking flip for youth youth is out now and is rated R for graphic nudity some sexuality and language and that wraps it up for this week thanks for listening everyone uh, be sure to subscribe to the binge on iTunes uh, you can follow me and Rebecca on Twitter I'm at Jason underscore Leroy and she's at fight balance uh, check out the Binge website at www.thebinge.us and like us there on Facebook. And once again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Jason. And I'm Rebecca. Thanks. Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. There, there goes, goes the binge. binge.